Okay, I'm going to answer a couple of questions today. I got a lot of questions, and so you're always remember you're uh, more than uh, invited to bring me a question. If you're afraid to talk to me, it sounds like you'll scare you. Write, you, write it down, put it in the offering box, and we'll get it there. And uh, we're more than happy to answer questions. I mean, if you don't get your questions answered, we're not doing our job. So we're more than willing to do that. I have a question today. Uh, it's this. Uh, do the Jews go to heaven sort of automatically, if you want to put it that way, because they're Jews, or as we say, God's chosen people. Do they automatically go to heaven because they're God's chosen people? Uh, so we want to try to clear up uh, a misunderstanding about that today. See if we can get it straightened out. John chapter 14 is where we're going to start and uh, answer the question right away. And then go back and just think a little bit about the Jewish people and where it all will end up. All right, so the question came to me from a couple of sources, actually. Uh, what about the Jews? Are they automatically going to go to heaven? Well, Jesus is talking at the Last Supper and uh, verse 5 of chapter 14 of John, John chapter 14, I'm in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So uh, there it is. Jesus says, uh, no man will go to the Father or... That's go to heaven. You can't get there except you go through me. You got to go through me, Jesus said. So you have to believe in Jesus in order to get to heaven. And in order to get to the Father, Jesus came down and died for us and says, okay, I will help you to get to God. And you can't get there any other way. There's no other way to go. So the answer is uh, you have to go to Jesus. You've got to believe in Jesus to get to God, to go to heaven. And he didn't say, no man cometh to the Father but by me unless you're Jewish. He didn't say that. Right? He says everybody. They're all under the same thing. Now God chose a people. Uh, way back in the beginning of time, God chose a people. Through those people, uh, they would write the Bible. Through those people, they would introduce the concept of God to the world. All right? Through those people, they would preserve God's ways. And God would tell Moses, here's how I want things done. They would preserve those ways. And ultimately, through the Jewish people, would come Jesus, the, the Messiah, all right, the promised one. And so they had a very special place. They had many privileges, many privileges as the Jewish people. Uh, of course, when Jesus came along, and we we're talking about the church, they just flung the door open to everybody, whosoever will, 
Everybody come. Don't, we don't care who you are, Jewish or not. Now, Romans chapter 10, if you look there with me, in Romans chapter number 10, the book of Romans, which I have done a couple of times on Tuesday nights with you, we did it fairly recently, uh, when you go chapter 1 through chapter 8, it's a tremendous discourse that ties together perfectly. You get to chapter 9, 10, and 11, and it's a little parenthesis in the middle of the book. And it deals with the Jewish people. Paul was a Jew, and he was concerned about his own people. And so uh, in Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11, he deals with the problem of being Jewish and what he thinks about it and what it, what it really is. And I've skipped it twice, I remember. As I get to chapter 9, I said, chapter 12 is the next thought. Let's go there. And skip the little parenthesis. So maybe it's my fault. All right. Chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. I bear them a record. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. All right. He says, I know they say we love God, but they aren't really well informed for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. He said, they didn't know what God was doing. That's why they crucified Jesus. They didn't know that he would rise from the dead. That's why they said... Uh, they paid the Roman soldiers money to lie for them. Right? They didn't accept Jesus as Savior. And uh, today, today the Jews, as a people in general, re- still reject Jesus. They say this, when Messiah comes, he's going to bring world peace. Jesus didn't bring world peace, so he's not Messiah. And that's what they're still saying today, the Jewish people still saying. Of course, there's Jews who believe, uh, just like Jesus said. Anybody can believe. The Jews can believe. it. Uh, Chapter 10, verse number 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh unto thee, even in thy mouth, in thy heart, is the word of faith which we preach. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with a heart man believeth to righteousness, with a mouth confession is made to salvation. You believe in your heart, you say, I believe in Jesus. Verse 11, the scriptures say, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all them that call upon him. So a Jewish person can certainly decide to believe, choose to believe if he wants to. Now, in general, like I said, the Jewish people of today do not believe Jesus was Messiah. Now, verse chapter 11, here's the important verse, verse number 25. Romans 11, 25. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. I'm going to tell you a secret. Lest you be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So he says, over the Jewish people has come a blindness. That blindness 
is that they can't see that Jesus was Messiah. Right? That's the blindness. He said it's going to last, he said, until the time of the Gentiles is over. Right? We are now in the time of the Gentiles. Right? It's a time when Jesus had founded the church and opened the doors to anybody that would believe. And so it's called the, now the time of the Gentiles. Now, I introduced to you a thought that uh, everybody's talking about nowadays. <laughs> there are times when our world confounds us, and we look at it and say, what is going on? And everybody turns to Revelation quick and tries to answer all the questions. Right? Now, I don't usually do that, but we're going to go there today to answer this question. All right, Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7. Of course, the book of Revelations is written about the end of time. What happens when time comes to an end? And here we have a description here that explains to us what happens to the Jews at the end of time. Because Paul said... Uh, there will come a time when the end of the time of the Gentiles is over or the church age finishes at the end of time that something is going to happen. And here's what's going to happen. All right, let's start in <coughs> chapter 7 of Revelation. After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth nor on the sea nor on any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the east having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And so these angels at the end of time, as they were going to bring destruction on the earth, wait a minute, we're going to seal God's name, if you will, on the foreheads of his servants. Verse 4. I heard the number of them which were sealed. There were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. All right, so you've heard that number before. 144,000. If you haven't listened at all anywhere, you heard that number 144,000. Because there are some people that hijacked that number. <laughs> A group of people called Jehovah's Witnesses said, oh, that's us. We're the 144,000. When there was 100,000 of them, they still said, that's us. We're the 144,000. When there got to be 144,000, they said, see, that's us. When there got to be 200,000, they said, well, it's not all of us. <laughs> Obviously, they were in trouble. And they said, now, uh, the best of us are the 144,000. The rest of you poor idiots that joined us well, you'll just have to do the best you can. It's a, it's a horrible mess. 
And anybody with any logic would look at it and say, I don't think you're the 144,000. And it says here uh, that they were tribes of the children of Israel. And it gives them, verse 5, tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000, tribe of Reuben and so far, Gad and Asher and Nephtali and all the tribes. And there's 12 tribes and there's uh, so many from each tribe, uh, 12,000. So the total is 144,000. Verse 9, and this I beheld, oh, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne, before the land, clothed in white robes, palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sitteth on the throne. And so, uh, the general description of what's happening here is we will come to the end of the age. And it begins something that Jesus called a tribulation. Tribulation, Jesus said, is going to come. It's going to be a hard time. He said, it's the worst time in the history of the human race. You think, well, it's been pretty bad sometimes. It's going to be worse. Jesus is going to be worse than anything you've ever known. And the tribulation is going to last for seven years. And so what appears to us is at the end of time, the end of the time of the Gentiles, we come into the last seven years of human history. Uh, And it's a bad time. Antichrist is rising to power. And at that time, uh, it appears that 144,000 Jews will embrace Jesus Christ and say, Jesus is the Messiah. We were wrong for the last 2,000 and whatever years. He is Messiah, and we're going to stand up for him and say he is the Messiah. And uh, they're going to pay for it. But they will convince a lot of people uh, during that time that Jesus is who he says he is. And so that's why it says, all of a sudden I saw a huge number of people from all nations gathered around the throne. Because of the work of the 144,000 Jewish people who embrace Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said, you can't go to heaven but through me. And that's what they do. They will actually embrace Jesus at the end of time. And that's the way we put together what happens. So the Jewish people had advantages. They rejected the advantages. They rejected Jesus Christ. And so nobody's going to get to heaven and say, well, I didn't come here through Jesus. They're going to say, then you didn't come here at all. You've got to accept Jesus as Savior and his work on the cross, or you can't go. That's it. Well, that's exclusivism. You bet it is. <laughs> I don't care what you call it. Jesus said it. God said it. You've got to come through Jesus to get to me. And it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or you're Norwegian. Okay? We all got to go through him. Nobody's got some exclusive backdoor right. You've got to go through Jesus. And so the only way that this 144,000 can step up and be counted as people who are standing for God, sealed in the head, all right? They got it in their minds, they believe, sealed in the head, they believe. Uh, the only way that can happen is they got to embrace Jesus Christ. There's no other way, all right? And so I think that fact confuses people and they say well Jews are going to heaven 
Well, those are who believe. Now, is there more than 144,000 at that time? Well, that's the argument that uh, prophecy people like to have. I don't like to have it because I don't know. But what they say is, uh, how many Jews in the world now? I don't know. There's quite a few million. They say, well, they're going to persecute them and kill them until there's 144,000 left. I don't know. That's a possibility. I don't know that. Uh, certainly, anti-Jewish sentiment has been the theme of many world kingdoms. All right? And of course, you, we know Hitler to be it. And now we got another guy over there. Certainly anti-Jewish sentiment. He's claiming a little piece of the temple uh, ground in Israel for himself. And that guy's nuts. Right? Let's get it. Putin is nutty. He's crazy. He's certainly antichrist type. The Bible said that there would be people like that in the world. He's not the antichrist. He's far too dumb. <laughs> Honestly, I'm being honest. He's far too dumb to be antichrist. Antichrist is much smarter than Putin. All right. Much smarter. All right. So that's one question that I've answered. Actually, that came from a couple sources. So I answered two questions at once, and I still got time to answer another one. The other one's in Matthew chapter 26. This one to me is much more interesting than the other question. So I saved it till last, because my mother said you always save the best till last. That's when she gave us dessert. <laughs> and she was right. I said, You're right, you always do save the best. Matthew 26. The question that came to me was, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus goes to pray, and the disciples, uh, he, he's got 11 of them, Judas is already gone, he's got 11 of them, and he leaves eight of them by the gate, they come in to the Garden of Gethsemane through a gate, it's a terraced hillside, with trees, and comes in through the gate, and eight of them stay by the entrance gate. Three of them, Peter, James, and John, go in further with him, and he tells him, I need you to pray. I want you to pray for me, and I'm going to go a little farther. And it says he goes a stone's throw another 50 feet and prays by himself. And I think they can hear him because he's praying loud. Uh, I think they can hear him uh, but they're just a little bit away. And they fall asleep. And they fall asleep three times. So the question is, uh, when they failed to pray, when they fell asleep, when they failed to pray, were they sinning? Was it a sin to fail to do what Jesus said? All right. Now, that's why I picked the Matthew's commentary, because he deals with, with it the best, so that we understand what's going on, and Jesus certainly understands it best. Verse 36 now, Matthew 26. We'll read it and think about it. Then cometh Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane, said to the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. That's the ones by the gate. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that'd be James and John, began to be sorrowful and very heavy. 
saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Pay attention, he said. Watch with me. And he went a little farther. So he goes a stone's throw, fell on his face, prayed, saying, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He cometh to the disciples and findeth them asleep. So he said, pray, watch. I want you to watch with me. Be awake. Watch with me. He comes back, and they're sleeping. And he saith unto Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? One hour? You ever prayed a whole hour before? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus here first says to them, I wish you could have, but the flesh is weak. And note that he also says the spirit is willing. I know you want to do this. You want to do this. Of course, they've been up probably most of the night before and now up all night this night, and it's probably 1 o'clock in the morning. And what do you do at 1 in the morning? What do you do? You're tired, all right? It's time to sleep. You fall asleep. And so they do. And he says, the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them, went away, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And he cometh to his disciples and saith to them, Sleep on now. Take your rest. Holy hours at hand, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. And so, there's an understanding that Jesus has. Number one, there's a weakness in our flesh. Our hearts may say, boy, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to do what I can do. I want to be one of Jesus' good disciples. But then the rest of us catches up. All right? And we don't do as well as we said we would. We don't quite make it. And Jesus understands that. He says, I know your spirit is willing. All right? Your spirit is willing. And he says, but you just, you're stuck with that human body. Jesus amazingly had power over his body. Now, he's 33 years old. When I was 33, I had more power than I do now over my body, all right? I don't have quite as much as I used to. But uh, Jesus was 33. He stayed up a lot, though. You go back through the scriptures, you find him up all night, all night, all night. And it's natural for us to fall asleep praying. People say, oh, I don't know when to pray. When you wake up in the night, if you're like me, since I was a kid, I never slept more than four hours at a time my whole life. Never. When I was a little kid, I slept four hours, I was up. Now it's down to like two hours and I'm up, okay? Uh, but uh, people say, well, that's terrible. You need to do something. No, I just pray. 
wake up and pray, and then you fall asleep again. <laughs> that is the best thing I can think of. Better than a sleeping pill any day. But you pray, and you talk to God, and you see what he thinks, and you talk back and forth, and you pray, and then you fall asleep. It's kind of the natural weakness that is in us. All right? and what he's trying to say to these disciples and the point he's trying to get across is, I understand your weakness. I understand you can't sometimes do what I want you to do, and you fail. I get that, because I, I know you're human, and I am not angry at you. He's not angry that they fell asleep. He's perfectly understanding of that weakness that's in them. But he's trying to make a very important point to them. And he says to them, uh, pray lest you enter into temptation. So <clears throat> the point that Jesus wants to make to his disciples is this. There is a day of trouble. There's a day when life really takes a hard turn. There's a day when we get face to face with some real trials in our life. And they can be various things. They can be relationships that are destroyed. They can be health destroyed. There's a lot of things that we can face that are real troubles and trials in life. And what he's saying is, tonight it's a real trial, he's saying to them. We got trouble. It's coming, big time, coming. And they're about to come and arrest me and haul me off, and what's going to happen before noon tomorrow, you never imagine how much trouble it is. And you're going to be in trouble, too. You're going to be in big trouble. This is the biggest trouble you've had in your life. And so I'm about to tell you something here in the Garden of Gethsemane. When trouble gets close, pray harder. Prayer is a strong defense when life takes a hard turn. It's a very strong defense. And that's what he, Jesus is trying to tell them. They can't handle it. They're physically exhausted. They're confused. Jesus just gave them the Last Supper and they scratched their heads and I'm not sure what he said. They'd figure it out later. But they're confused and tired and they don't know what to do. Jesus said he's leaving and they don't know how to handle it. And they're just exhausted. And they fall asleep and they fall asleep again. And they fall asleep the third time and Jesus said, go ahead, sleep on. Get a little rest. You need it. All right, but what he's trying to communicate to them and through them to us, when trouble gets close, remember this, the lesson that Jesus taught it to them in Gethsemane. Prayer is a very strong defense in the day of trouble. All right, and it's all through the Bible. Uh, David says it over and over. When I'm in trouble, what do I do? I call on the Lord. I pray. When trouble comes, I ask, I call out to God for help. 
It's all through the Bible, everywhere. These guys get in serious problems, serious trouble. Whether it's Daniel in the lion's den, he's in trouble. He's in trouble, right? And they pray, call on God, and they get help. Three guys going in that fiery furnace, they're in big trouble. But they pray, and God comes. So, uh, the lesson of this is not uh, that God expects us to be some sort of superhuman spiritual person that can handle anything and we can pray through the night. You won't. You'll fall asleep just like I will. You won't. But you ought to know that when trouble comes, when the day comes, when you got to face something, look it right in the eye. That's the best thing you can do. You pray to God. Pray to him. And that's the strength and that's the help, that's the strong defense that you need in life. Jesus used it all through his life as a strong defense. He uses it here. It's a tremendously powerful defense against what he's about to go do, which is die on the cross. And so uh, it is here not meant that Jesus is scolding these fellows. Jesus is being mean. He says, what's the matter with you? You let me down. It's not like that. He's saying, I know you're weak. I know you got trouble. I'm just trying to tell you. Prayer is the best weapon you have in your armor. And when Paul gives a list of armor, right? He says, Christian armor, you got the shield of faith, you got your faith, you got the helmet of salvation, and your feet are shod with the gospel of peace. And what's the last one he said? And by the way, the last weapon is called all prayer. That's the one he said, don't forget that one. Make sure when you go to battle, you got that one with you. All prayer, all prayer. All right, so it's the answer to the question, is he mad, is he angry? No, he understands their weakness and he's trying to give them a heads up. Hey, you want to live successfully when you get in trouble, pray harder, pray harder. Thank you.